I'm really excited that you're here today because uh, we've been in this series called Life on Mission, all right? And let me begin with a little bit of reminder of where we've been. First week, we talked about how to receive a new vision for an area of our life that maybe we feel like we need God's help, right? Like a new mission, a new purpose. We might feel like we're just kind of stumbling around in the dark. So we talked about what that looks like. Then the next week, I talked about how awesome it is that we have God's word, that we have his heart, his thoughts in the palm of our hand and how we can use his word to decide, decipher like what God's purpose is for us and whether or not we're really into God's word and how to dive into it. So those were the first two weeks. And then last week, um, Nathan filled in for me while I was away and he talked about how valuable you are in the eyes of God, how each one of you has so much value and that God has a great purpose in store for each one of you. And let me just, let me just push pause. Can I just brag on Nathan and Autumn for just a minute, okay? Not only did he preach for me last Sunday, but I want to tell you a couple of Sundays back, they did Ridge Runner stuff in the morning, and then they went and swam in the pools while all the adults sat outside the pool and gathered. They were in the pool with the kids, and they swam for a couple hours. Then they went straight from there to youth that evening and were there till 9 p.m. that night. Y'all, they are ministry superheroes, and we are fortunate to have them at the Ridge. So anyway, yes, absolutely. Y'all make sure that you tell them, okay? Um, so back to the series. Okay, um, I'll feed you on my thought process. Here's where I was going with this. First two weeks were centered on how to know God's mission, like praying for, searching for the vision. Now, for the next few weeks, like where I want to go next, I want to talk about what it looks like to live out a life on mission. Because a life on mission shouldn't be ordinary, right? Like if we believe... If we really believe that God loves us and has a unique purpose and a plan for each one of us, then we should want to live out God's will in in our homes, in our work, in our school, wherever that is. And that means that our lives should look different than the average person that's living out there that might not know God or might not know that he has a mission or plan for their life, right? That just makes sense. We want to live in such a way that when other people look at us, it is crystal clear that we're doing our best to follow Jesus, that we are a reflection of Christ. So that doesn't mean if you're, that, that, that just means that if, whether you're in Columbus or Phoenix City or Hamilton or Ellerslie or wherever you are, when people see you walking around town, that they would think to themselves, that right there is a life on mission. In our lives, will be a shining example of Jesus alive in us, right? And the good news for us is that while we each have a unique purpose, that is true, while we each are uniquely gifted to serve God, you are uniquely gifted to serve God, and if you're not serving him, you're not plugged in, then you're missing out on that, that opportunity, right? We are each uniquely gifted in such a way to serve him. However, we also share common goals. Okay, we also share common missions, that we all have to take part in. So when it comes to those, to that mission, like what, what, what are some of the common goals that we all share that will make all of our lives stand out for the cause of Christ? That's our question over the next few weeks. Okay, and to help us get into today's common mission, let me begin with an example. I'll tell you about something strange that happened to me a couple years ago. Uh, a couple years back, we had to replace one of the computers for the... Uh, back screen. And so at the church, whenever we have to do something like that, we do what you do. We order it off of Amazon, right? And so it's always fun to get a new device. Um, and I don't know if any of y'all are like, like us, I was thinking about this the other day, but Abby and I actually fight 
over who gets to peel the cellophane off of a new iPhone or device. Do y'all, do y'all, I don't know what it, do y'all enjoy that? Like peeling the new wrapper off? I don't know, there's just something satisfying about that. Anyway, sorry, got sidetracked. Anyway, we have to order a new device, and anytime we do so for the church, it's still a little exciting, you know, we're getting something new. So the Amazon box comes in, and when it gets delivered, I picked it up, and I could feel it's really light, which is weird, but the box wasn't damaged, it wasn't opened, so I pulled out, I opened it up, I cut it open, and I pulled out this Apple box, and immediately realized that there's no wrapper on it. Now, I'm not the brightest person in the room, but I'm starting to put two and two together, Light box, no wrapper, and sure enough, when I opened it up, it was completely empty. No laptop at all. There would be no peeling of cellophane today, which kind of set me back a little bit. But I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do with an open box, so I call Amazon, and I'm like, y'all, I I don't know. I got this, and I know y'all probably get scammed all the time, but I promise you I'm not lying. When I got this, I don't know what we can do, but it was an empty box. So I'm curious. Has anybody ever had that happen? You get something in the mail, and there was nothing inside. Has anybody? Okay, we got a couple people. All right, how about this? Have you ever gotten an empty gift from a friend who thought it would be funny for Christmas to wrap something up real nice, and you open it up, and there's nothing inside? Anybody ever had that happen to you? Okay, I'm the only one with... Oh, I see. Okay, all right. We got a couple of friends that... Or a couple of people that have weird friends like I do. Um, How about this? Potato chip bags that are feelful, but when you open it up, it's filled mostly with air and not a whole lot of chips. How many of y'all? There we go. There's all my hands right there. We've all had that happen. It is no fun to receive an empty gift, right? So with that in mind, that leads me to this morning's topic. When it comes to worship, when it comes to the songs we sing, when it comes to the service we take part in, is it sometimes empty gifts to God? Because what if our lives are wrapped up really nice with this spiritual, amazing image on the outside, but sometimes on the inside, it's actually empty, and there's not a whole lot there. You see, for today's topic, when it it comes to a life on mission, a life that is completely set apart for Christ, we are called to give our best to God. We are called to give our best in worship to God. And I think what we need to do is we need to set aside empty or hollow worship. In fact, you might be pretty surprised to learn that empty worship actually makes Jesus upset. For our scripture this morning, I want to turn to Matthew 15. We're not going to go through the whole thing, but I want to invite you this afternoon when you have your time or this week. Go go back and study Matthew 15 in your daily study time and just read through that. But for our text this morning, I want to show you an interesting conversation that Jesus had with some religious leaders. Okay, So let's read through this together, and then we're going to break this down a little bit. It starts in verse 1. It says, Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And so they asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. What's going on here? These guys are coming. They're asking Jesus this question. What you got to understand right off of the top that these are Pharisees. These are teachers of the law. These are the churchy religious people of the day. And they were obsessed with 
how you worshipped, how you presented yourself in worship. They were obsessed with all these religious rules, okay? And one of those rules was how you washed your hands. Now, this isn't the same thing as personal hygiene, okay? This isn't the same thing as just being physically clean, which, if I'm honest, I'm a little obsessed with uh, myself. But there's, there's more to it than just that. You see, in this time, they actually believed that things were either clean or unclean. Okay, animals, for instance, you know, there were clean ones, there were unclean ones, you know, there, there were clean ways to prepare food, there were unclean ways to prepare food, there were things you could touch that were clean, there were things that you might touch that would make you unclean. So, for example, if you had a skin problem, you were unclean, if you touched a pig, you were unclean, if you touched a dead body, you were, un- which is a good rule to have, don't go around touching dead, like, totally could agree with that one. If you touch a dead body, unclean, right? And to make things worse, to make things even more confusing, uncleanliness was transferable. So it was contagious. Think like second grade cooties. Okay, seriously. Like, let's say a pig got out of its pen and it bumped into you. You're unclean. And then you go home and you hug your wife. She's unclean. And then she goes and shakes somebody's hand. They're unclean. Like, I don't even know how they kept up with it, okay? But that's the way it worked. The real problem was, the real problem was what do you do when it comes to worship? Because you can't be in worship and be unclean. So what do you do to cleanse yourself? Well, there are a few things that you could do that would make you eligible to worship God. And one of the things that you would do is that you would wash your hands with water, with the amount of water that was known as a quarter of a log, Okay, how much is that? That is basically, it's a liquid measurement of one and a half medium-sized eggshells. This is true. You can go Google it later. Don't Google it right now. Don't be on your phone. Google it later. Um, But typically what they would do is not that. They they would do much more than that. And how it would work is you would take a pitcher with two handles on it. You've probably seen these pitchers. And then you would take it and then you'd pour twice on one hand and then you take the other hand, you pour twice on the other hand, and then you let the water drip through your fingers, and then you would rub your hands together and you would say a prayer. Now, a devout person, a devout person, a truly worshipful person, would do this before their meal. And a really, really, really devout one, those that were Pharisees or teachers of the law, Sadducees or whoever, they would do it before each portion of their meal. So let's say you're eating at Culver's. You sit down, you'd wash your hands before the burger, then you would wash your hands before the fries, and then you would wash your hands before the ice cream, which I'm totally cool with, right? But these guys, they look at the disciples, and while they may have washed their hand at some point, They didn't do it in the right way that they thought they should. They weren't ceremonially washing their hands in the right way. So they look at Jesus and they're like, Jesus, why are they not doing this? Do they not think that this is important? And Jesus is about to look at these guys and he's like, are you kidding me? Like seriously. He looks at these religious leaders and he's like, you're focused so much on them when you should be focused on yourself. And he's going to turn this thing around and he's going to say, it's not so much about the outside, but it's what's happening on the inside. It's what's happening within your heart. Because let me tell you, and he looks at these guys and he's like, your hearts aren't connected with God like they should be. And he just calls them out. You're so worried about how you look and how you wrap things up. But on the inside, the inside, what's happening is it's just an empty gesture. It's just an empty gift. 
So here's how Jesus says it in verse 7. We're going to skip down. He looks at them. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. So he's quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He was right. And he said, for he wrote, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Jesus is like, you're saying all the right things. They say all the right things, but their hearts aren't right. It's wrapped up all nice on the inside. It looks real pretty, but it's actually empty. Then Jesus says, their worship is a farce, for they teach these man-made ideas as they're their commands from God. But is God so much worried about that? Or is he worried about your heart more? He says their worship is a farce. Other translations, if you're reading in a different translation on your phone, it might say they worship in vain. In other words, their worship isn't pleasing. It's not what God wants. It's empty. It's hollow. So I think that Jesus would look at this situation then and he'd say hollow worship, empty worship was a problem then and honestly it's still a problem today because we might put on a good show on the outside, but maybe are we really giving ourselves on the inside like we know that we should? Because a life on mission is a life that's committed to worship. So for today, what I want to do is I just want to talk about the worship. And not just the worship that happens on Sunday mornings, but the worship that happens on a daily basis and how we worship God. Because worship is one of the ways that we show who God is, that we show that we have a mission from Him, that we have a purpose. Because one of our purpose, our purpose, a common purpose is for every one of us are called to worship God. The question is, How are we worshiping? Like, how do you feel, like when it comes to our individual lives, how do we feel like we're worshiping God? Are we focused when we come down for communion? Are we focused when we sing, when we listen to the message, when we fill in the blanks, or when we have a quiet time, when we go throughout our days? I think this is a good question to wrestle with because I think that we all have an opportunity to grow here, myself included. Now, let's talk about this as we talk about worship for just a minute. Because one of the things we got to talk about, because we just got to go ahead and address this, is that we always think of worship when it comes to styles. And the reason we say this is because we usually talk about worship in music or, um, you know, a different type of whether it's charismatic or not or traditional. And we'll say this. We'll say things like, I like this style of worship, but I don't like this style. I like this environment, but I don't like this environment. And some people think that worship needs to be reverent and holy, and other people think that it needs to be more noisy and fun. There are different ways to worship. In fact, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been to a place where the expression of worship was different than what you were used to. Let me see. Raise your hands. If you've ever been there. Yeah. Okay. All of us in here. Do you know what? I grew up in a different style than what we do here on Sunday mornings. And that's one of the reasons that we say that the Ridge is a different type of United Methodist Church. It's because the United Methodist Church is more traditional in its worship. Now, it's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not knocking it at all. And some traditional churches have contemporary services, but most are traditional. And this is what I grew up in. And you know what this is like. The whole 
stand up and sit down and stand up and then recite the Apostles' Creed and recite the Lord's Prayer. And then we sang out of this thing called a hymnal. Do y'all know what a hymnal? Anybody? Y'all know? If you don't know what that is, you can Google it. It's a real thing that we used to sing out of. And when we sang out of it, we did something. We would always leave out the third verse. Y'all always felt bad for the third verse. I don't know. Like, what did the third verse ever do to us? Why can't we sing? The third verse, you know. But when I grew up, it was just different. And it wasn't until I was college that I, I tried something new. And I stepped outside of that. And I went to a place where I saw a band up on stage. And I heard a different style of music. And I was like, man, and I connected so much with that. Let me share some of my other first experiences in worship. I remember the first time I saw someone raise their hand in church. I got to be honest, I wasn't familiar with it at all. I wondered if she had a question. I was like, what is so important? Will someone please answer this lady? You know, but now I know the scripture that instructs us to raise our hands. And this expression of worship when people lift their hands in praise to God. And I love it. I think it's amazing. On the charismatic side of worship, I also remember the first time I saw people run across the front of the church with flags. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I thought they were celebrating some United Nations Day of some nations I'd never seen of or heard. I didn't realize that they did this every Sunday. I remember the first time I heard someone use a prayer language, and I didn't understand. But I promise you, I heard the word Kia, and I was like, are we praying for cars? Because if we can do that in this church, that I'm on board with that. But I'm just saying, like, I'm just being frank with you. I can honestly say that when I got to know these people, though, and I got to know their style of worship, I realized that they're wonderful, right? And as I matured in my faith, I started to realize that, that worship really comes in many different forms. And all of these are just amazing expressions of a life on mission. You see... I really believe that all these forms of worship can be right before God if the heart is right before God. But I also think that none of these are right before God if the heart isn't right. That makes sense, right? True worship is when our hearts are truly connected to God. Also, no worship is right when our heart isn't connected to God. Remember the words of Jesus when he said, they honor me with their lips, what they do on the outside and what they say, but their hearts, their hearts are not with me. You see, it's not about a style. It's not about music, but it's a reflection of the condition of our heart. So that means that if you're expressing worship in a way that brings honor to God and you're connected to him, then sing. Then raise your hand. Do what you do. Worship how you want. It's not the style, but it's the condition. I imagine Jesus is in heaven looking down going, just don't give me an empty gift. Just don't make it hollow. In fact, let me remind you why we worship. Why? We prepare our hearts to love and praise God. You see, it all has to do with Jesus. Jesus is that perfect, sinless son of God who was obedient even to death on the cross as we celebrated this morning through communion. He suffered and died for your sins, my sins, our sins, so that we could be forgiven forever. And in that moment, Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And at this moment, he intercedes for you 
you. In other words, he is on your side. He loves you. He's never going to leave you. In fact, he promises to comfort you. And the same spirit that rose him from the grave is the same spirit that lives in each one of us and gives us the power and the grace that we need to be more than a conqueror in this life. He alone deserves all our honor, all our glory, and all our worship. So in light of everything he's done, how do you worship him? Like, what does your worship look like with him? Are you really worshiping? Is your heart really in it? Are you really connecting to God? If not, why not? If, when, when? When do you do it? How often do you do it? You see, like I said, I think we all have a moment. I think we all have a chance here to grow a little bit in this area. Myself included. So with the time I have left, and yes, I see it's 11.22, I have eight minutes left. I can do this. Do you believe in me? We believe. Thank you. Here we go. I'm going to give you four points real quick, real quick, real quick. How to worship. Number one, what are some expressions of worship to try? Number one is bow. Bow. When our heart's right before him, sometimes we bow in reverence. The psalmist puts it this way. Come, let us worship, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Every now and then. When we get so overwhelmed with who he is, we just drop to our knees. It's a way of saying, I can't even stand in your presence. It's like Peter did when he needed repentance. He needed to repent before Jesus. It's like, it's like the wise men who came and saw Jesus in the manger. They bowed. right? It's like when the kids were little and you used to bow beside the bed and make prayer at night with them. It's an act of submission and worship. Because of who God is. And you know what? Here's something else to remember. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow before him. So maybe it's good to go ahead and start practicing now for what's going to happen in the future. Sometimes it's just appropriate and helps us worship when we bow in his presence. Another thing, number two, is to lift hands. Lift hands. Let's go back to this act of worship. It's actually a biblical thing. 1 Timothy 2.8 puts it this way. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up. Why? Why do people do this? I know if you were from a traditional background like me, you probably don't understand this. That's okay. I didn't either. But two things this represents. One, it represents surrender. Because what do you do when you surrender? You put your hands in the air, Right? In a way, we're surrendering to the will of God. We're saying, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. I surrender to you. The other time we lift our hands is in victory, right? As a great theologian, DJ Khaled, once said in his song, all I do is win. (laughs) When you win, everyone's hands go up and they stay there. You're going to remember that point now, ain't you? Uh Where else are you going to go to church and hear the preacher quote DJ Khaled? Come on. Love it. Listen, listen, listen to this. Listen. Come on. When you're a winner, your hands go up, right? And there's no greater victor than Christ alive in you. Right? You see, at the moment you lift your hands, you lift them in surrender, but you also lift them in victory because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. The third way we worship is we sing. Sometimes you just got to sing. You know, you just, gotta, you just feel like singing a song, singing, singing praise. One of the things I love so much about my amazing wife is that when she gets excited about something, she will, Shannon will make up a song on the spot about it. It's so much fun. Y'all, when the kids were little, she had a song for brushing teeth. 
She had a song for the first day of school. Like it, it, it was great. Sometimes when you're happy or when you're just trying to get other people excited about something, you just want to sing. The 100th Psalm says this, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Some of y'all are like, when it comes to this, I got the noise part down, right? I don't know that it's so joyful, but I got the noise part down. That's okay. Like, have you ever just been so overwhelmed or excited that you just get wrapped up into that moment of singing? You know, one of the things I do is I try to have worship music going, whether it's at the house or in my office. If you come into my office in the morning, you'll hear worship music playing. And every now and then, I'll just stop and I'll get swept up in that song. And I'll just have a moment of connecting with God. And it's beautiful and it's great. We got to bow, maybe lift our hands, maybe sing. The fourth one might be a little bit more difficult, but it's a sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice of praise. Look at how this is put to us from Hebrews, and this will help explain this point a little bit. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise. Here's what this verse goes on to say. Not only do we worship God, we worship Jesus when we see the blessings, but we also worship him when we don't, when we're hurting You see, worship is something we have to choose to do. Because honestly, we don't always feel like it, do we? But that's what it means to bring a sacrifice of praise. And the reason for that type of worship is because our worship isn't based on our circumstances. Our worship is based on his character. That's who God is. And the fact that he never changes. And he promises to always be with us. But you know what? Just as Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, we lay down our lives for God. And we worship him, no matter what's going on around us. So let me close this out by just reminding us that Jesus, what he wants from us, a life on mission, is real, honest, heart-connected worship with God, not empty gestures. So maybe, maybe this week we take these notes home And we just practice these things out. Or maybe we try one of these things out. We try kneeling during prayer. We try lifting our hands to him as a symbol of surrender or victory. We try singing a few songs on our way to work. Or maybe we learn to praise him even though things aren't going well right now. Or you have a bad day this week and you don't really feel like it. You try these things and see. See if it helps you connect your heart with his. You see, the point of all this is is that Worship isn't just something we say we do. That's what Jesus is saying, our lips honor me, right? No, no, no. Worship is part of who we are. We were made for worship. As we say it here, one of our core values at this church is worship is a lifestyle. And those who are on point with God, that are moving forward with him, they, to worship is a life on mission. So, here's a new idea. Since we're starting a new month right now, we, we, we got a new week ahead of us. We got the new month of September. Maybe, maybe try one of these things this month or maybe just try this week or maybe even just try today to have more meaningful moments of worship at church, at home, in the car, at work, at school, wherever. After everything Jesus has done for us, he deserves our best. Just don't give him an empty gift. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be with you, to be near you. And God, we just pray that you would help us remember what it means to really worship, to really connect our hearts to yours. Whether that's bowing, raising our hands, singing, offering offering a sacrifice of praise. God, 
God, just help us to remember to worship you in the way we live each and every day. God, I pray that we would just never offer you an empty gift. That we wouldn't just give you lip service when our hearts are actually far from you. So God, just please draw us closer to your presence so that we can truly worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I just pray that you would be pleased with the praise that everyone in this church has for you. After all, when we acknowledge everything that you have done for us, how could we not offer you the praise that you deserve? Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We worship you above everything. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.